bringing up the darkness when it comes to love. I really, I pray that you've had some opportunities over the last couple of weeks to be able to um, have somebody come across your path where you've been challenged to light up the darkness uh, figuratively, however you want to see that, with the idea of, of hope and of faith. If you haven't, we need to pray a little harder because I'm telling you they're out there. Folks are out there that need someone to step into the darkness of their situation and shine hope, to shine faith, and then today we're going to see that you need to shine love. We're going to go back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. This is, this is the anchor, the two anchor verses in this study, um, this series. This is the first one. Matthew five fourteen. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And I've said both weeks. If the world is experiencing darkness and the Bible says that believers are to be the light of the world and that a city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden, then one of two things has to be going on. Either we're not being the light and so darkness is what continues or else uh, the thing that hit me this week is then we must be in the valley instead of being on the hill. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Guys, there's a lot of dark stuff going on in our world. And you don't have to go international. You don't have to go somewhere around the world to figure that out. I mean, it, it's simple enough just to, just to look at what happens within our own cities. I, I, was, I was looking at Facebook last night because now you can almost get new stuff faster there than you can anywhere else. And I saw um, a, a guy exchanging shots with police. I saw... A, um, a car chase with police going after somebody coming through Jacksonville and Weaver. Uh, I, I mean, look, it, it's all out there. Man, there's dark things that happen. There's things that happen to families and things that happen to people that, that are difficult and that are tough. They're not supposed to be alone, though, even if they are not followers of Christ because that we are supposed to be the light of the world. We're supposed to be the people who are stepping into these situations and are being the light. The second anchor verse that we had so that we can dive into this is 1 Corinthians 13, 13, where it says, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Love is the greatest. Now we would think in most things, we would think that, well, it would seem like having faith. We talked last week about faith and the fact that, that uh, the Word tells us that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. So he's the one that writes it on our heart. He's the one that perfects it in our life. Well, it would sound like that would be something that maybe that would be the greatest thing. Maybe having faith, belief and conviction, strong conviction of God and who he is and what Jesus has done, that would seem to be one of the greatest things. Well, what about hope? Because there are people that absolutely don't have hope in things, whether it's a doctor's diagnosis, whether it is um, a, a, a situation with their job, whether it's a relational problem in, in a family or a friend or whatever. They don't have hope about something. You would think that would be powerful. But what we're going to see today is that both of those things hinge on the idea of love. 
That's why love becomes the greatest of all three of them because the other two find their importance and find their meaning in love. There's an important fact that we have to understand if we're going to get this message of 1 Corinthians 13 and 13 that these three abide, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Here's that important fact, and it's found in 1 John 4 and 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. Now, the Bible never says, it, it doesn't say that, well, God is faith. It doesn't say, well, God is hope. It says he's the God of hope. We saw that. We see that, that Jesus is the author of faith. He brings those things in there, but God is love. It's not that God loves. I think sometimes that's how we portray it. We, we, well, you know, God so loved the world, so we see as God does this action that we all have the ability to do too. And then we say, well, but he does it in perfection. That, that's, a, that's a misunderstanding. It's not that God loves. God is love. There's a difference in that I do something because then I could choose not to do. Then I could choose to not carry out that action or maybe I could demonstrate that action sometimes but not demonstrate it at other times. But if I am love, if God is love, then he has no choice ever to not be love. It's the core of who he is. It's, it's in his DNA. It's his makeup. And so then when you see statements in Scripture like John 3.16, for God so loved the world, so God who is love then demonstrated love through Jesus Christ. We're going to talk today about this concept of love. I want to share with you three things that we're going to see in this passage that we're going to cover in 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to see why there's a need for love, the endurance of love, because that's important, but most importantly, every week in these three things, we have come to the end and said, how do you share it? Because the world doesn't need more people that have something, but don't share it. The world doesn't need more, thing, more people that understand faith, that understand hope, but don't want to go out and share it with people that need it. Then love is most valuable in this world where there are situations where people would seem to be unlovable. I'm not sure how we ever convince ourselves that someone is truly unlovable. Now, you hear me out because we in, in our natural human self, we struggle with this concept because we're going... There is no way that I could love someone who has done something terrible to me. I 100% agree. I 100% agree that there is no way that you or I could love someone who's done something terrible. I watched a thing on, um, on ESPN Sports E60 this week. Um, I was watching a documentary about the shootings that happened in Charleston. You know what, maybe a, a year, I think a year or so ago, the guy goes in to, uh, I believe it was an AME church, 
He sits through their entire Bible study on a Wednesday night. It's like an hour and a half in. They're having some prayer and all that stuff. And then he begins to open fire. Kills nine people. I watched this documentary about a young man who his mother was single mom. He, he is a, uh, I think he's a, um, maybe his first year in college. He's playing for a JUCO, I believe. And... He was on a on a road game. He plays for he played not only for them, I think the College of Charleston, they're they're in Charleston. And so he not only played for them, but he played with a with a traveling team uh, during the summer. And he was at an away game, an hour, hour and a half away when all of this happened. He gets a phone call from a member there at the church. His mom was there. Um, it's where she always was on Wednesday nights. He gets a call, and, and they said, is there an adult near you? And he says, no, I, I'm, I'm here by myself. I just got back into town. And, and he said, the, the person said, well, oh, there's not an adult. You, you, need to, you need to come down to the church. He gets there. there things are cordoned off. They're, they're going through all the process of, of trying to maintain evidence and everything else. And if you remember the story, the, the guy fled. He got away. They didn't catch him until like the next day. And he said, I was just praying because they said one person was at the hospital. And, and he said, I was praying and I was hoping it was my mom. He ended up finding out that his, his mom had been killed in that process. Within a few days, I, I don't remember the exact timing, but it was very quickly. This young man stands on a ball field. Surrounded by his travel team, by the, by the coaches. And he, he said, I felt like I needed to respond. He said, I, I, I needed to say something. The media was hounding him. They wanted to, to know along with, I'm sure, with the other families. He said, but I felt I needed to address the media. And he stood before the media. And he made a statement that ended up becoming a rallying cry. He said, I'm, I'm not going to... I'm not going to show hatred to this young man. I think they called him by that point. He said, I'm not going to. He said, love is stronger than hate. Now abideth these three, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So let's talk about the need for love. We're going to go back to the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to do verses 1 through 3. This is what he said, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, Paul was dealing with a church that was struggling with giftings. They were struggling with all of these operations of things in the church, and, and they, all of these different uh, gifts were being utilized in a church service, and it was kind of getting out of hand, and, and they were struggling with it. And, and Paul had to bring them back to some grounding. He had to get them kind of reestablished and say, look, here's what you have most need of. 
You don't have most need of, of this, these giftings. You don't have the most need of a prophetic word. You don't have the most need of that, that you give everything away and, and uh, that, that you understand all the mysteries of the world and you've got all knowledge, you've got faith, you've got all this stuff. He says, Th- those are great. But they are nothing if you don't have love. I kind of I went through and I listed for myself the, the the three divisions that he made. He said, "Look, yeah, you've got this gift uh, of speaking, and even if it's uh, the the gift of other languages." And he says, "But look, if you got all of that, that's just a noisy gong if you don't have love. You can say you've got a prophetic word. You can say that you've got all this knowledge, but yet if you don't have love, and I you catch these these two because I." I I uh, capitalize these words to let you see something. He went from tongues is just a noise to you can be prophetic and think that you've got all this knowledge. He said, but I am nothing. See, people want to, those are two areas that people like to, like to run around telling everybody that they are. Well, I am, you know, people want to tell you I am a prophet. I can't tell you how many people that I run into on a weekly basis he would come by and want to tell me, I'm a prophet. Well, I, I, just, I, need to see your, I need to see love. That's what I'm worried about seeing. People, I, man, I, I've, I've studied and I've got all this knowledge about the Word. And those are great things because too often we don't understand the Word and we have not spent time enough in the Word. But he said, those things that you think make you to be something, he said, if you don't have love, then you are nothing. You don't, you, but he said, then what about I can give charitably? Because a lot of folks want to say, yeah, but look at what I do in charitable work. I go and I serve. I give of my time. I give of my talents. I give of my treasure. I give all this stuff. And, and I encourage us to do that. Y'all know that. Every week I'm going to tie something in to saying, hey, if we don't do Matthew 28 and Matthew 25, in case you were waiting for that to happen in the sermon, I just went ahead and got it in early because we get it in every week. You know, Matthew 25, then you need to do unto the least of these. Matthew 28, you need to go make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to observe everything that he's commanded. You can do those things, but if you don't have love. Remember, there's a church in Revelations where he says, hey, you have all these things. You, you, you can't stand stuff that's evil. You prove out people that are, that are false prophets and they're false in their, in their stuff. He said, you, you, you work on all of that, but i got one thing against you. And that one thing is you left your first love. He said, so you can give everything away. He even goes so far in, in 1 Corinthians, he talks about that you can give all away all, all your goods and then you can give your body to be burned. I'm not sure what benefit that was supposed to. But you can, you can give it all. I mean, there's not much more you can give than to give away everything you own and then say, and then when I die, just take me and burn me up too. He says, but that will let you gain nothing if you don't have love. See, the, there, there, are two, there are two tendencies that we swing to in the church. We either swing to wanting to do works, but while we're off, you, you just hear me, you, while we're off doing those works, we want to go into a difficult area or into an impoverished area or to where people have not been raised knowing anything about God, nothing about Christ, and, and we will sit and almost be condescending while we are serving because we're looking and inside our hearts we're thinking about almost like the two guys praying where 
Remember in the Bible, the one is standing there and he says, oh God, I think I'm not like this one next to me. And the other guy's just sitting there smiting himself on the chest, hitting himself going, God, just be merciful to me, a sinner. If we're not careful, we'll get about our works and we'll get about serving people, but it won't be done out of love. Or even it will be done where we'll say, well, I love God, so I'm going to do it. Well, the Bible said if you can't love your brother whom you have seen, how can you love God whom you haven't seen? 1 Peter 4 and 8 says, above all, keep, listen, above all, not above some things, not above most things, not, well, hey, just make sure you fit this in to your church experience. He says, above all, keep loving one another. And don't just keep loving one another. Keep loving one another earnestly. Look, I can tell you, because she's not in here. And I, I, Caleb, he, he gets after us all the time. He'll, I can't help it, man. I walk in the kitchen and my wife's in there. I love that woman. I, you know, I'm going to sneak up behind her and kiss her on the neck. I'm sorry if that bothers, you know, you'd be all right. Why? I mean, it's, we've been married 24 years this year. Hey, I still, I still passionately love her. It's not like, well, we're putting up with each other and all that stuff. It's not that way, man. I'm just telling you. If I have my phone up here, I show you. I got her picture on my phone, you know, smiling. So when I hit the button, I see her. Every time, I, you'll appreciate this, Brian. Every time I think, whenever I see your smiling face, I have to smile myself. First Peter 4 and 8, above all, above serving, above Bible study, mm, you just hear, above prayer, above all these things, he says, keep loving one another earnestly. You know why? Because if you keep loving one another, and that includes God, if you keep loving, then we'll do all the other stuff. We'll step into each other's lives and we'll serve each other. We'll step into situations that are dark because we love and we love earnestly. And that passion for God will take over. And we will do things that we would normally not have done. We will do things and we will reach into people's lives in a way that just sitting in church and checking the box and whatever else is not going to cause us to do. But when the love of God becomes such that it overrides and is bigger than everything else, it's above all. And we keep loving one another earnestly. You say, well, well, but I, but I had this issue with somebody at church, and I had this problem. Hey, I hear you. You have those problems with people at work. You have those problems with family. You have the <laughs> people start smiling. I'm going, what are y'all doing? You, I mean, at some point in your life, you have, you have issues with people. But in 1 Peter 4, 8, we need to finish this, the rest of that sentence. He said, but if you love one another earnestly, then there's an important thing that happens. Love covers a multitude of sins. Guess what? If you looked at somebody sitting next to you or around you, you don't even have to know them. I can go ahead and tell you this. They're not perfect. Can, can we just go ahead and get that one out of the way? And guess what? Because you showed up here today, and if you go to church and you do that on a regular basis, I'm going to break news flash. I'm sorry. Please, no weeping and wailing and gnashing the teeth after this revelation. We're not perfect either. Right? 
you know? People say, well, I'm not going to go to church because a bunch of hypocrites. Hey, just come join all the rest of us. It's okay. <laughs> We're all working on it. We're trying to get there. Love covers a multitude of sins when we love one another. 1 John 4, 11, he said, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. By the way, that means people that don't look like us. That means people that don't necessarily agree with us. That means people that don't do things that we would do. If God so loved us, God loved us even while we were yet in sin. God loved us when we were not following after him. God loved us so much that he sent Jesus Christ, why? To die so that we could be set free from our sin. Remember, we've read that verse. He says that, that God demonstrated his love toward us. And that while we were yet in sin, that he sent Christ. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you. All right, so it's not an option. It's a commandment. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Not just, not just love one another where, you know, you do the, the, the normal church thing, right? Oh, we come in, we got our smile. You're just fighting with each other, wiping egg off your face, you know, and she, she had that biscuit and threw it at you in the car. And, and you got it all off and you come in church. We go, how you doing? Oh, we're doing great. Oh, I love you. Do that little hug. We do that little man hug thing, you know. Hey, if they call you at 2 in the morning, you going to get up, go help them. People that you really love. Mm, I need to leave that alone. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. How? He didn't just leave us that. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Well, how did God love us? God loved us and that he was willing to sacrificially allow Jesus to lay down his life for us. Oh my goodness, could it be that he's really trying to connect us to that verse that no greater love has any man than this and that he laid down his life for his friends? Verse 35, he said, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, y'all know me, I like to take the opposite of things. Then that means... If we don't show love for one another, that tells people that we're not disciples of Christ. Oh, I know, we don't like that. But he said, they'll know you because you have love for one another. Therefore, if we act like we hate each other and we don't like each other and we don't have love for one another, then it must indicate then that we're really not following after God. Just saying. I know, that's... That's tough. Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. Here's the second commandment in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We've talked about that before. If, if you really love someone else like you love yourself, you won't wait until they're just completely destitute before you do something about their situation. You won't wait until somebody is just, well, you know what? They need, to, they need to get some stuff figured out. They need to be willing to put it down. Well, maybe we need to step in and help. Maybe we don't need to wait until they're about to expire from something and then go, okay, all right, now I'll step in. 
I mean, Jesus wasn't waiting until we were saying, hey, would you come do something about our lives? He came while we were yet in sin, and we didn't want him to come in and do anything in our lives. But he saw that we had a need. He knew something we didn't know. And his love was so great that he moved on our behalf. He says, so you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. What? Those two, where he said, love the Lord your God, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. If he said that he gave us a commandment to do it, and we say, oh, but I love God. Look, if we're going to say we love God, then we'll do what he says, right? If we love him, we'll, we'll obey his commandments, right? He said, they'll know you're my disciples because of your love for one another. And so then he says, so love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. Look, that's going to mean that if we love God, then we're going to be obedient to God. And his second commandment, which is like it, is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I keep saying, then when somebody walks in the door, I mean, you know, we keep praying for this, this difficult thing. We keep praying here that God... We pray that you'll send us people with a heart for a vision that you've, that you've put in us of, of trying to reach into this community, specifically this community too. But God, also that you'll let us reach people that other churches don't want to reach. I'm not, I'm not, trying, to be, I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm not trying to, because I'm not calling anybody out. That's not what I'm saying. But there are people in our communities that churches don't want to reach. They, they don't dress well enough. They don't act right. They're going to walk in the door drunk. They're going to walk in the door and they may be stoned. They're going to walk in the door and they may have been walking the street. They're going to walk in and have a lot of things going wrong. But if we say we have the answer, that we have the solution for life in Jesus Christ, if we say that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever will, anybody who wants to come to Jesus Christ and respond to the drawing of the Holy Spirit in their lives, then, then that's who God wants to reach. Well, if God wants to reach them, then we should want to reach them because we are supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. If you were strung out on drugs, would you want somebody to love you and help you? If you were going through difficult times in your life and even your anger and all of that was causing you to, to be, would you want somebody to hang in there and try to help you? There is no greater, no other commandment that is greater than these two. Love God, love your neighbor. The endurance of love. So the need for love is that, number one, because God says do it. That's why we need to have love in our hearts is because God said, I command you to do this. And secondly then, because this is going to identify you as being my followers. Love me. Love everybody else. Okay, that's tough right now. Let's just be honest. Let's not. I don't, I don't like. I don't like to do all the church speech stuff. And let's just not be honest about. There's people that are doing terrible, terrible things. To whether it's Americans, to whether it's Christians, there's all kind of bad stuff that's going on out there. Or are we supposed to pretend like none of that's going on? Are you saying that? Oh, we got to love these people and just hey, look. Don't come after trying to do something crazy to my family. But, but the thing is, God still wants to change their life. 
That doesn't, that doesn't excuse anything anybody's doing. That doesn't mean I'm not going to try to protect and prevent something from happening to my family. And I wouldn't try to protect and prevent it from happening to you. That doesn't mean that people shouldn't be held accountable according to our legal systems and all this stuff of what they've done. I mean, we're all going, we pay the price for the things that we do. But in the end, God still, while all of that's going on and needs to go on, and accountability needs to exist there for what we do in this physical life. You and I face that even if we're followers of Christ. Hey, do something stupid at work and see if you don't get fired. Well, I mean, don't. I mean, don't, don't, don't test the theory, but I mean, but hey, and you can be a Christ farmer and be coming to church, but you act the fool. Go act the fool at work and see if somebody doesn't put you on the road. There's going to be accountability for what we do in this life. But yet God still wants to change someone's heart and change their soul. So we have a need for love, but what about love endearing? In 1 Corinthians 13, we skip, we ended 1 through 3. We're going to skip down to verse 8. Love never ends. That's power. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. I want to stop there just a second because people go, man, I don't understand. What's, what's he saying here? Look, when we pass from this life, we go to heaven. And even when the, when the end of all things occurs, whenever that is in God's timing, there will no longer be a need for anyone to give you some prophetic word. There will no longer be a need for there to be anything spoken in some other language. There won't be, it's not that, that will knowledge, everybody's going to go stupid. Nobody's going to know anything. That's not what he's saying. But this, he's, he's in, in this chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, he's been talking about giftings of knowledge and all this stuff. And he says there won't be a need for all of that. Because people will be made in, in unity and, and there will be no more. You'll be standing there and see God, see Christ. There will be no need for there to be someone to walk up and say, hey, let me tell you something. You know, God just spoke this to me and I need to speak it into your life. <laughs> well, I see God. He's right there. I'm, I'm, I'm good. You know, That's what he's saying. He's saying these things, those things will end. There won't be a necessity for them when we stand in God's presence after this life. However... We also see in verse 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now this next verse, it's a mess with you a little bit. He says, hey, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Verse 2, he says, because now we see in a mirror dimly. We don't, we don't really see everything about God or everything about this life but then we'll see face to face. I know in part now. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And then we get to our anchor verse. So now. So he, he's gone through all this stuff. He says, hey, uh, prophecy's going to pass away. Knowledge is going to pass away. Um, we know in part. We, we see in part. It's, it's kind of like looking through a dark glass and we're trying to see... All those things, those things, they're temporal. They happen and they're going to go away. But there's three things that abide. Kind of through all of that. There's been faith and there's been hope and then there's been love. So I was reading that this week and, and the endurance of love. I realized then in reading some of the commentaries when when we stand before God, then faith and hope are also going to pass away. 
Because now faith will be swallowed up in sight. I no longer will have to have a faith in something because when we stand before God, I will see that thing that has been my faith. I will no longer have to hope for what God is going to do in my life because all of those things are now past. So really, there's one thing that overrides all and that stays in existence, and it is the one that is the greatest, which is love. Because while hope finds its object, remember from last week, or two weeks ago, hope finds its object in the goodness of God, faith finds its object in the truth that is found in God's word about God, but love is God. The endurance of love gets shown through ongoing obedience. John 14 and 15, he said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. We don't, we don't like verses like this because they lay out a, a, a clear criteria. Well, I love God, but if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, does that mean we keep all of that in perfection? Of course not. We'd, we'd be perfect. So, but we're striving toward that, right? We're growing toward maturity. We're putting more and more things before God so that, that as we allow God to be active in our lives and we allow Him to perfect our faith, the author and the finisher, the perfecter of our faith, then He continues to grow us where that we are able to keep His commandments the things that he's told us. Now, we're not talking about keeping the Ten Commandments. And all, so we're talking about the stuff that Jesus commanded. And, tells, and he tells us stuff like love one another. I'm trying to let God lead me when he puts people across my path. But I'm going to tell you what, twice this week. I keep praying that. We prayed it Wednesday night. I keep praying that concept. God send people across our path. Not just mine, but across yours. God send people across our path. Not for us to look down on. Not for us to go, oh, man, them people need a bunch of help, you know. No, but for us to do what we learned a year ago, which was, God, we're all broken in some fashion, and so help me to come alongside this person and help me to be a, 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 a change event in their life that I can help them with this area. And God, maybe they're going to help me with something. Maybe they're going to they're grow me in some fashion. But God, we're all broken. We're going to come together because Jesus can heal us all. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. What was one of his commandments? He said, love your neighbor. He didn't say, love your nice neighbor. He didn't say, love your neighbor that doesn't play loud music in the middle of the night. <laughs> Ooh. Or maybe my neighbors would say, he didn't say, love your neighbors that don't have dogs that bark in the middle of the night. <laughs> if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. One of them is to love your neighbor. This love that God gives is agape love. There's different kind of love there's different words used for love in the in the Bible, particularly in the New Testament. We see phileo, which is the uh, which is brotherly love. It's where we get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Uh, we see eros, which is where you get erotica. That's that's uh, everybody's like, oh goodness. Dennis is like, oh my word. Um, that's what you, that's that's that happens between you and your and your spouse. Should be your wife or husband of the of the opposite gender, and. So that stuff. But you have this agape love. This agape love, which is unmerited love. It's gracious and it's constant. It's constant because God Himself is love and He's eternal. This is the love that we would not be able to have if it were not for God. 
Because we couldn't look. That young man in Charleston couldn't look at that situation and say, I'm not going to hate. I don't want riots. I don't want any of this other stuff because love is greater than hate. He could not have done that if it was not for God in his life letting him demonstrate agape love because the natural person should not have wanted to show any kind of forgiveness. The natural person should not have been able to say, no, I don't want something done, but only through this agape love of God could that happen. And so finally, we need to share love. So we went 1 and one through 3, verses 1 through 3, and then we jumped down to verse 8 and went through 13. We're going to pick up that middle section. How do we share love? How do we light up the darkness of our world with love? Well, I actually found in this center passage of this, this chapter we share it by knowing what it is. Because this is one of the few times in the Bible where in explaining what it is, it actually tells us what to do. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endureth all things. Let's get the, let's get the positives and negatives out of this. What love does not do, or what love is not, the list he gave was, it's not envious. It's not boastful. Love, true love, doesn't look at your neighbor and go, why on earth did God bless him with that? I would like to have that. That'd save a lot of people some debt problems and stuff if it had some love. Because then they wouldn't be envious and they wouldn't go get themselves all tied up trying to do something because they won't keep up with the neighbor. Well, we're not preaching about finances. Love is not arrogant or rude. It, this is a tough list, isn't it? I mean, it, it, you're just sitting there looking at that list, and you're automatically you're thinking through whether or not this is how you are. I mean, let's let's just go ahead and be honest. You've looked at that list, and not only that, but you have looked at that list and thought about the person sitting next to you. <laughs> Angie, stop looking at Sean. <laughs> I'll stick up for you, brother. <laughs> I mean, you started going down that list. You probably started thinking about somebody. Somewhere in the back of your mind, you started thinking through, well, you know what? I know somebody that they're envious and they're boastful. I know somebody that's arrogant and they're rude and they're selfish. They're irritable and resentful. Now, why did he sneak that one in there? I, I, that was just a side note. Why did he snuck that one in there? Because there's some people that go, I can't help it. I just have an irritable disposition. <laughs> I don't know. I always tell you, I just know that the Bible says, he said, uh, that you ought to come make all things new. You become a new creation in Christ. Well, that's just the way God made me. Well, it might have been the way you were made, but he wants to make you again. Right? He wants to change you and make you new. 
Love is not irritable or resentful. Love doesn't celebrate wrongdoing. But what is love and what does love do? Well, love is patient and it's kind. Mm. Love rejoices in the truth. Even if the truth isn't what you thought it was, or even if the truth doesn't make that person look as bad as you thought they ought to look. Oh, well. You just want to know the truth. You're not worried about it making you look good, making somebody else look bad, whatever else. You just want the truth. Love just wants truth. Bears all things. Man, that's tough. But I have to put it in perspective of Christ, right? Christ looks, let's, let's, I'll just use me. I don't, I don't have to talk about any of you guys. We can talk about me. When, when I want to struggle through the things that God wants to do in my life, and when I'm wrestling with all of it, when I'm not wanting to go the way he wants me to go, when, when I am acting irritable about stuff, when I'm, when I'm not wanting to be in prayer, if I'm not wanting to be, if I'm struggling with any of that stuff, yet, yet Christ still, just like a, almost like a parent, even though he becomes our brother, he, he, he just bears all things. Believes, this is that word faith, this is that same word that we talked about last week, it gets interpreted in a lot of different, translated a lot of different ways, but it's actually the base word that is faith. It has faith in all things, it hopes all things. It endures. There's a difference in bearing something and enduring something. We could get into a lot of detail there, but you need to study that one out. But love, then he said, never ends. What if we shared all of those things with our world? Man, there's people that, when it comes to us sitting here talking as church folks, there's people that are going to get on television, they're going to get on the radio, and they're going to do stupid junk. And they're going to say dumb things. I don't know any other way to say it. And they're going, to, they're going to make the cause of Christ look bad. But we can either sit and we can worry about all that or we can go counteract it. We can go out and we can light up the darkness with love that shares all of these things into our world with a love that is patient and kind. Or that we reach out to people and we rejoice in the truth, even if it doesn't go the direction we thought it was going to go. That we'll bear and believe and hope and endure and not end. That we won't be envious or boastful. We won't be arrogant or rude. We won't be selfish. We won't be irritable and resentful. And we won't celebrate wrongdoing. What if we go and we share all of those things with our world? Because honestly, that's the message of the cross. The message of the cross is... You were messed up because of your choices and because of the things that you did. But God loved you and Jesus died for you and he wants to change your life. And so he sent his son and now he wants to impact you. And, and is everything going to become perfect? Is everything going to all of a sudden be this, this, you know, all your problems going? No. But you can come into community with believers who even though you're different, even though you've, you've maybe done terrible things, but we all were going to end up in the same place. 
We all were going to pay the penalty for our sins. God will change your life. One last thought. Love grows. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's the first one he puts in the list. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. You know what? Every one of those things you grow in. You grow in love. You grow in joy. You can grow in peace. You can grow in your patience. You can grow in how you demonstrate kindness, goodness, your faithfulness, your gentleness, your self-control. All of those things can grow because they're fruit. They're fruit of the Spirit, but fruit cannot rot on the vine. It's a waste if you're going to have fruit, but then it's going to sit there and rot, and it's not going to be used. Our love has to be shared in order to accomplish its full purpose and usefulness. I keep saying it. Guys, it's not about what happens inside these walls. All we really do in coming here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, any other time, all we're really doing is trying to get ourselves prepared to go be the light of the world. We're not... We're not coming here to be the church. You're going to be the church outside of here. We just have a church service here. We just have a Bible study here. We just have prep time here. You're going to be the church outside of these walls. I'm not the church. No pastor is the church. The pastor's not the one to do the work. Ephesians, he, he tells he says that you've been, you've been given pastors and teachers and all these things, what? For the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. You're not the church because you came here this morning. You're not the church because you come here every week. You're going to be the church when you go do what the church is commanded to do. Otherwise, we're just some people that hang out. We have a social event. We do some music, we get a speech, we'll go home and do our thing. But when we go outside of these walls and we light up the darkness with hope, with faith, but above all, with love. By this, they will know. Who will know? People that are not his disciples. They will know that you are my disciples. How? Because you got love.